verse 41, kind of in keeping with the thoughts or progression from our Christmas series, we'll change the title from Christmas to, for a lack of better um, title, I threw this one on there so that I could send my notes to Ken. Uh, Let's read through uh, 41 down through 52. If you have your Bibles, read along with me, follow along with me. It's always good to have your own page in front of you. I appreciate it being up on the screen for those that don't have Bibles or forgot to bring them or something, but follow along. Uh, Highlight, underline as we go along, something that jumps out at you. I'm... uh, we do this a lot in staff. We read a portion of Scripture and then ask each other what jumped out at us, and we just kind of wrestle through different passages. So <clears throat> do that with me tonight. Father, as we read your word, once again, we invite your Holy Spirit to be the teacher. Um, you promised that you would lead and guide us into all truth, so we ask that you would open the Scriptures to us, um, unveil them, old and new, pray that you'd open our eyes, our spiritual eyes, our physical eyes, open our spiritual ears tonight to hear what the Spirit of God would say to us, your church, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus is now a little boy. We left him in the manger last time we talked about him. He's grown now. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled for a day. Twelve-year-old, I guess that's possible. Maybe a little younger than that. Mom and dad might have clued in a little sooner. Twelve years old, they're getting a little bit of independence, and he's a boy. (laughs) He's off with Shock Beeb or something. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, They went back to Jerusalem to look for him. How many days later? After three days. Moms, anybody getting nervous here yet? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. I think by that time my dad would have had me by the sideburn. He had been lifting me up and saying something a little more harshly than, Where have you been? Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went, they went, he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Hmm. Interesting scenario for a 12-year-old. Natalie, how old are you? 13-year-old. Stephanie, how old are you? Oh, you're old too. How old are you? Six, you're real old. <laughs> 12 years old. Do you remember when you were 12? I have no clue what I was like when I was 12. I'm sure I was a nice boy. What jumped out at you when you read that passage? Great question. Where did he stay? I asked the question myself. Can you imagine being 12 years old in a city, the city of Jerusalem? Lots of people there. Feast had just finished. Probably still lingering, family relatives hanging out for a while. Busy place. These are all practical questions that we kind of read over when we read through the scripture. We miss the anxiety, the struggle of life in our text. They went a day's journey, so a day back and then a day in the city looking for him. You wonder where they looked for the day. Where would it be the first place a mother would look for a child? If you lost your son or daughter for three days and you went back to the city that you left them at, where would be the first place today you would go looking for them? The books, Stephanie, be in the bookstore. <clears throat> I'm thinking I'd head to the police station. Have you seen my kid? Has anybody reported my daughter or son? Retrace your steps. Yeah. I wonder if they went on ahead. Now that we came a day back, I wonder if he was ahead of us instead of behind us. Oh, man. I'm sure the caravan was compact enough where they could search the caravan to find out the Dodge caravan that they were all in. Let me uh, just point out a few things here tonight. Uh, three, three points to ponder. I titled this Reasons for Going to Church, but I really have no idea what it has to do with going to church. Number one, as I look at the text, verses 41 and 42, remember where you came from. Why are they in Jerusalem? They're celebrating a feast. How old is this feast? How far does it go back? Moses, and where were they when the feast? Egypt. Somebody tell us the story. What happened in Egypt and why? why we, what's the initiation of this feast 
the feast of the Passover. Okay, Roger's saying, so the death angel would pass over any house that had the blood on the doorpost. Why was that there? Why was the blood there? What was the occasion? Was that a everyday thing? You put blood there? What, what was the situation? They sacrificed them, but why did they do that? Actually, not, not at that particular time. Um, we, have, we have Pharaoh who wouldn't let the people go. They're in Egypt. They're in bondage at this time. This was one of the plagues. What number of the plagues was it? It was the tenth, the last of the plagues, where Moses kept saying, let my people go, let my people go. And then God said, at this point, I'm going to... I'm going to have the firstborn. And that was animals as well as human beings, by the way. The firstborn would be slaughtered at midnight if they didn't have the blood put on the doorpost, as Roger said. So we get this, this term, Passover, um, and the unleavened bread are similar feasts. Uh, celebrated, the Passover is like the first day of the feast and the unleavened bread is the rest of it. The Passover, as we see here, this is remembering where you came from. These Jews are still, hundreds of years later, going back to Jerusalem, celebrating where they came from. That they came out of slavery, that they came out of bondage, that they came out of a real cruel... Why were they in Egypt to begin with? Anybody know that? Joseph invited his family to Egypt. And they finally grew so large that they were larger than the Egyptians. They population-wise, they were overtaking the Egyptians. And so the Egyptians knew that the only way to control them was to bring them into slavery. And so they became slaves. So now they're being released um, under the direction of God's hand and Pharaoh finally throwing his hands up and saying, okay, okay, just go. And in their leaving, they pillage Egypt. They're given all kinds of gold and silver garments. I'm thinking at that moment, I just want to get out of there. But we read later on, when they get into the, the desert, they have piles and piles of gold and silver and jewelry and, and all of that. In fact, when they get ready to build the temple, they call for an offering and they brought so much that the people that are building it, the craftsmen who are building the temple, finally say, tell them to stop because we have too much. That's a preacher's dream. Tell the people to stop giving because there's too much. And they had to, they had to give up. So here are these people traveling in the desert that still have all of this this pillage of what they took from Egypt. And it literally builds in and carries them for, for many years, and 40 years actually as they travel to the desert. So remember where you came from. They're, they're, they're going back. The reason Jesus was in Jerusalem was to remember this Passover. 
Now, there was a lamb. Steve, I think Steve mentioned the lamb. Somebody mentioned the lamb. The lamb's really important. And now, the Passover, a, what kind of lamb was it that they killed? A perfect lamb. What was perfect about it? No blemishes. Okay, in fact, they had several days that they would bring these lambs to the priest. They would leave the lamb there, and the, the, the priest would inspect them every day to make sure there was nothing wrong. There was something type, there was a typology happening here. There was a pointing to something that was going to happen in the future without the Jewish people really understanding the fullness of this, that Jesus, who was the perfect lamb, would be the covering of sin. That when the enemy of our soul wants to come and, and kill and destroy, he cannot because the blood has been placed over the doorpost of our heart by and because of the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the earth. So we see the type carrying from the Old Testament there in Egypt, now into Jerusalem when Jesus is slain on the tree. And you and I get to be the blessing of not just a physical covering, but a spiritual covering, a covering that would keep us for all eternity and free us from the bondage of our sin. So, <clears throat> the feast was a testimony. It was a testimony of where they came from. It was a testimony of God's keeping power to them. It was a testimony of covering and deliverance. And so, as I think about that, for you and I, it's important that you and I remember where we came from. Do you remember when you got saved? Do you remember what you were like before you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? You ever wonder what you'd be like if you had never given your life to Jesus Christ? Think how bad you are now with Jesus. <laughs> You're pretty good people. I didn't mean it. Our testimony is important, isn't it? Where you came from is important. We all have a story. If we could take time tonight and go around the room and hear everybody's stories, some of us would marvel at each other's story. If we could really be transparent with each other and lay our stuff on the table, our history on the table, I mean the raw history on the table, this is what I've done, We'd all be crossing our eyeballs and thinking, you, really? You, you really did that? And because of the grace of God, we can look back and say, wow, we have a pretty marvelous testimony. And the Jews, when they got together, they celebrated for seven days. This was a testimony not to be forgotten. Testimony of God's deliverance from the bondage in Egypt. Revelation 12 tells us that in verses 10 and 11, John says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now we have come, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. Notice that. The adversary of your soul goes before God day and night, accusing you to him. He's been hurled down. <laughs> it's 
Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. He's been hurled down. And they, the saints, they overcame him, the adversary, by the blood of the Lamb, which has been applied to the doorpost of your heart, and by the word of their testimony. This is why your testimony is important. By the word of your testimony. Nobody can change your testimony. Nobody can change the fact that you have felt the power of God in your life. Nobody can change the fact that, you know, it doesn't matter if they kill your body. They can't change your testimony. Your testimony is your testimony. The testimony is what I have testified of in my life. This has happened. It's real. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimonies. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from even death itself. Powerful verse. So this feast was a prophetic feast that would point to the cross fulfilled in Luke chapter 22, verses 15 and 16. And he said to them, I have, Jesus is saying to this, the disciples, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Jesus is talking about that specific feast, the same one he was at when he was 12 years old. He's now 33. And in Luke 22 here, he's 33 years old, and he's saying to his disciples, this particular Passover, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you. Because this Passover was the Passover that was signifying that he, the Lamb of God, the Lamb that was slain clear back in Egypt, the type, would now be fulfilled in his own life. The whole reason that he was slain before the foundation of the earth, before God ever formed this terrestrial ball that you and I live on. In the, in the mind of God, this plan of salvation was already created, and for the the, the time span of then till Jesus stepped into what we know as time and into humanity at 33 years of age, he says, I eagerly desire to eat this feast with you. Because the fulfillment, God restoring broken humanity back to a holy God is about to take place. The testimony that you and I have is that we have met the Lamb of God that the Lamb of God has indeed applied his blood to our sinful hearts and he has passed over us, if you will, in a sense that no longer are we responsible and guilty of our sin and no longer would we be slain, but we would have freedom from captivity and we'd have freedom from bondage. We'd have freedom in our lives to set, to set ourselves towards the things of God. And he says in verse 16, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. The second thing I notice in these verses is in 40, 46 to 48, the first part of 48. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. Notice what he's doing. Listening to them, asking them questions. And everyone heard him, was amazed at his understanding and his answers when his parents saw him they were astonished so I see three things there I see number one that he listened 
Notice the progression of what Jesus does here. Now, we're talking, we're talking about a 12-year-old boy, but you and I know on the other side is this is the Son of God. This is Jesus, the one who lived in the spiritual realm with God the Father, who was there at the beginning of creation and spoke all of this into existence. Now he is in the form of a 12-year-old boy, and he's sitting. Notice who he's listening to. He's listening to the wisdom of of man. Now can you imagine God reducing himself to a 12-year-old boy and sitting in the temple listening to the wisdom of man, the Son of God listening to the wisdom of man. Isn't that marvelous? Isn't that just kind of strike you? Isn't that incredible that God would submit himself to such a thing? And he would sit there and listen to Now, what he listened to were men that had studied the scriptures. And I'm I'm sure that what, as they had many of them memorized whole books, the Torah was oftentimes memorized by uh, rabbis and their students. Uh, And so as they're deliberating over the scriptures, the one that the scriptures were all about steps into the temple And he's listening to what these men have to say about him. And imagine Jesus, a 12-year-old boy, knowing what was going to happen. Had a little smirk in his spirit like, wow, if you guys only knew. If you only knew, the lamb is sitting right here with you. And he listened to them. He listened to them talk about scriptures. He listened to them. I'm sure they talked about the coming of the Messiah. I'm sure he listened to them rehearse what the Passover was all about. And when they got to that part about the lamb, I'm sure there was again a little raising of the lip. When Yeah, that's me. That's me. But he also asked questions. I can't imagine that he asked any questions that he didn't really know the answer to. By the way, when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Right? He's really trying to reveal something in your heart. And anytime we ever hear Jesus asking questions, it's not because Jesus didn't know the answer. He's revealing something in the heart of the person he's asking the question to. And the Holy Spirit loves to do that to us. Ask, have you ever been asked those probing questions by the Holy Spirit? Where you just feel over... God has a way of disciplining you and speaking to you in a way that if anyone else said it, you'd be mad. But the way he says it, you just go, thanks. I needed that. That's a way of opening up your heart and communicating with your heart that, that no one else has. It's just a spirit-to-spirit thing. Wouldn't it be great to know what kind of questions he was asking the religious leaders, he wasn't just talking to some kids on the street about soccer and whatever Jewish kids might be talking about at that time. He's in the temple talking to the temple people, the religious people, the rulers, the scribes and Pharisees and teachers of the law. Jesus, his 12-year-old boy, again, is asking questions to them. And don't miss the fact there in verse 
the end of verse 47, it says everyone who heard him, so he wasn't just hearing and asking, he was speaking things because they, they were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So not only was asking questions, he was giving answers to perhaps questions they were asking him and astonished at that. But notice he only gave answers after he listened and after he asked, then he offered answers. By the way, not a bad suggestion for us. We're so quick to give answers before we listen, aren't we? Somebody said God's given us two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen twice as much as we speak. And the third thing we see is reflect what's in your heart. Verse 52, flip there. Verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Reflect what's in your heart. We see several things here that was in his heart. He grew in wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern or judge what is true or what is right or lasting insight, common sense, good judgment. Henry Thoreau says it is a characteristic of wisdom not to, not to do desperate things. Characteristic of wisdom not to do desperate things. And Confucius says... By three methods, we may learn wisdom. And I like what Confucius has to say, as Confucius as he was. First, he says, by reflection, which is the noblest way to learn wisdom. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. You can do it nobly, you can do it easily, or you can do it bitterly. Wisdom certainly is a teacher if you choose to submit to its teaching. John Maxwell, who is a former pastor, now gifted communicator to leaders and training leaders of Christian and non-Christian organizations, says that in this stage of his life, he spends a lot of time sitting in his office with the lights off and a pad sitting on his lap and a pen handy. And he may spend as much as an hour, two or three hours sitting there and just listening for wisdom. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And that he will give it to you, how much? Liberally. You need a liberal dose of wisdom? Ask God. But you can't ask God on the fly. You might need to stop for a while. That's why Confucius says that the best and the noblest way to gain wisdom is reflection. Sit and ponder. How many of you journal? Four of you. It's a great way for reflection. <clears throat> My journal is a 
chronology of depression, if you ever read it. I only journal when I'm discouraged. So if you ever get out my, my journal, you think, wow, Pastor Joe is the most discouraged person in the world. <clears throat> when I'm feeling good, I don't feel like I need to journal. When I'm feeling down, I feel like I need to let it out somewhere, somehow, and so I journal. It's my time for reflection. Because maybe I made myself miserable. I want to know how I got there. The second thing we see, Jesus grew in stature. It is a maturity thing. There is a, what's meant by that, and when we usually think of stature, we think of size. But also in age. He grew, as he grew in age, he also grew in stature. He matured physically. And then favor. He grew in favor. The word favor means graciousness. Are you gracious? Would people consider you gracious? Graciousness or favor is that divine influence upon the heart. Divine influence upon the heart and how that reflects to other people in life. Graciousness really is a bouncing off of divine character from your heart onto other people. Graciousness was never meant to be received. It was meant to be reflected onto other people. You ever been around someone who's really gracious? You know someone who's gracious? Just have that gracious character about them that when you're around you feel like you've been reflected divinity on from them? And it said he grew in favor, but he grew in favor with God. When we think of God, we think of the magistrate, the supreme divinity, that this Jesus Christ grew in favor with his heavenly father, that his heavenly father looked down at him and just smiled as Jesus grew now at age 12. The heavenly father is still saying, wow, that's my beloved son. The same thing he would say at age 30 when he was baptized in the river Jordan when he looked down. If we could hear Jesus at and the Father talking at age 12, we would hear the same scenario. We'd hear the Heavenly Father saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He grew in favor with God. He grew in favor with the magistrate. He grew in favor with the divine, heavenly, supreme being, God himself. But he also grew in favor with man. And some, you know, there's a, a saying I haven't heard it for a while, but we used to say that he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good. You ever hear that statement? You're so heavenly minded that you know earthly good. They're so spiritual, but they don't know how to relate to people. There has to be both of those, isn't it? If Jesus just walked around talking to God all day and had nothing to do with humanity, his purpose for being here would have been missed. And by the way, ours would be too. If you just walk around all spiritual and acting all super spiritual and, oh, God's teaching me so much in my prayer life and blah, 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 but I never reflect that into humanity. We miss why he's talking to us, why he wants to talk to us. Because the reason he wants to talk to us is to give us wisdom how to relate to people around us. 
as I read through this, this thought hit, hit me. We read all that happened with and through Jesus' life and here at age 12 and then in verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It almost would have been nice if he said, and he grew in favor with man and God. But we have this, he grew in favor with God and man. There's this anticlimactic feel to the verse. And they say, whoa, what just happened? I can understand the God. That's pretty awesome. But man. But it's actually, I want you to understand, it's actually the fullest expression of God's favor. When we can reflect Father's grace back onto others, the intention of God's grace is at its fullest value. If I reflect grace to God, it's of no value to him. Grace was meant for brokenness. Grace was meant for that which lacked power. Grace was meant for that which lacked the ability to produce anything of value in and of itself. And God gives his favor and his grace upon man. So what appears to be anticlimactic is actually just the opposite, that he had grew in favor and wisdom with God, but he also ultimately grew in favor and wisdom with man. In other words, God's grace, God's wisdom was reflected onto the very People that it was intended and, and given and, and crafted before the foundation of the earth. It found its fulfillment even at age 12 in Jesus' life. The climax happened. Yes, he grew in favor with God, but that had never changed. He was always in favor with God. But now the favor that he intended to come for at age 12, he was already growing in favor with God and with man. That which was to be the expression of his grace. For this is the reason that Jesus came. So how about you? Do you remember where you came from? Do you share your testimony very often? You have one, you know. You have a story. Do you have a place where you can listen? Do you have a place where you can ask questions? Do you have a place where you can give a few answers? Life groups are a great place for that. Christian Life University is a great place for that. Your own devotional time is a great place to listen. It's a great place to ask some questions. And uh, from time to time, it's a great place to receive some answers. I say that because don't you wish you got more answers from God than you get? Don't you wish you really could have just a personal conversation with God every day? I think God would delight in that. I think our lives are so busy and so full with idolatrous lifestyles. We're so overwhelmed with so many things in our life that we feel they crowd out God if we're honest with ourselves. And lastly, do you have a way of measuring your spiritual growth? 
How have you grown since last year? Last we left Jesus, he was eight days old being circumcised. Now he's 12. We have some great indications of growth here in this text. At age 12, he's already got a lot of wisdom. How have you grown since last year? Have you read the word more this year than you have last year? Or has that waned for you? Are you helping anyone else on their spiritual journey? Or are you all about yourself? I'm just trying to get by myself, preacher. I'm just holding on and hoping I can get there. I mean, I've got my white flag raised. and I'm saying, Lord, come back quickly. Help me. All right, do I find other weary travelers on the journey? And am I helping to bring someone else along with me? And lastly, is the favor of God on your life? If so, why? Might be good to know why. Because when we know the why, it helps us to do better at the what. Or maybe I can ask, why not? Why not God's favor on your life? You're not feeling God's favor in your life? Why not? What is the, what's, missing in the, what's missing in the formula here for God's favor being absent from your life? Which I trust isn't the case of anyone in this room. That word favor and grace, by the way, are interchangeable. Even in our text in verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in grace or in favor. God's divine empowerment with God and man as well. A few reasons why we should attend church. then we can continue to remember where we came from. When I come to church, it's a great time to reflect with other believers that we can sing about the goodness of God and how he has changed us and rehearse what's on our heart and share with one another like we did tonight with testimonies and listen to what's going on in other people's lives and ask a few questions It's also a great place to reflect what's in your heart. I love when I hear what's on somebody else's heart. Especially when it's in alignment with the things of the kingdom of God. Our staff uh, went out to dinner the other night. We sat around a table and we reflected on, we had some cards we wrote, highlights from 2012. We all had different things that we wrote on our cards. Some of them were the same, but one of mine was, I wrote Ginger Goodyear. And I just was reflecting on what's in her heart as here's this very quiet, backward, shy woman that to my knowledge in 11 years, I've never heard her speak up in church. 
But over the last year, God's doing something in her life. There's a growth taking place where she's finally at the point where she hears God. At least she's saying, I think I'm hearing God. And I'm so overwhelmed by that because God spoke that same thing to me three times, she says, that now I have to get out of my comfort zone and I have to tell the church what's in my heart. And it moved the church to act on what the Lord put on her heart and to watch her as she walked away from Sister Wiley's with tears streaming down her face in public and a hand raised in public walking down the street thanking God and asking God to complete the work that he put on her heart for the prayer around the house. I said, God, I love what I see in Ginger's heart, and I know you do too. If we're going to inspect each other, let's inspect what's on each other's heart. Sometimes our actions aren't as kind to us, are they? Sometimes our actions don't reflect really what's in our heart. I often say, I'm so glad God knows my heart. My actions don't always line up with my heart's cry and my heart's desire. What's on your heart tonight? What's God doing in you? And maybe it's time to reflect that somewhere else. Would you pray with me? Father, we bless you tonight. We thank you for helping us to remember where we came from. I remember being 12 years old at a youth camp where you got a hold of my life in a prayer room behind the platform. A hard wooden floor and just a crude wooden bench in the middle of the room. I remember leaving that room changed. I'll never forget the day. I'm glad, Lord, that you've allowed me to be here in this position, pastoring a church where I can rehearse what's on my heart every week. Trust I'm reflecting what's on your heart as well. Father, I just pray over these people that are here. I pray that they would grow in the wisdom, favor, with God and with man climatically that your grace would be released through us that there would be an exclamation point at the end of our life because we reflected wisely we reflected with favor everything that you've put in our heart to a lost and broken world And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen.